down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start singing all night, drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. Welcome to another episode of Tasting Anarchy, your only Liberty Wine show on the internet waves. Uh, I am Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And I think we've got a pretty good show for you this week. Uh, I will admit that I am slightly underprepared just because it's been sort of a slow week for wine news, but there's been some other kind of interesting news, so we'll, we'll get into that. I do have one item that is wine-related and one kind of quirky item that I just thought was interesting. And Mason, I know you brought up a food-related item that I thought we might discuss mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into the wine first. This week, it is your wine. Uh, what, have you, yes. what are you sipping on? So I am sipping on what I think is my second bottle of the same wine, but this bottle tastes different than my memory of the last bottle so i have to dig through the recycle and figure it out uh probably tomorrow Mm -hmm. um so as you know i like to shop at kroger and um in love of nate i take his wine suggestions almost as seriously as i take jackson's yeah um which is to say very seriously for both (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Dignier is something that I'm, I'm wanting to get into. And so, you know, uh, as people in the show may remember, there was the mystery wine that my wife and I had and we couldn't figure it out. We know the winery, um, but we weren't really sure what it is. I come to think it's a Vignet, um, from Williamsburg winery. I have a bottle of it in the house. I just haven't gotten into, but this is, uh, the Terrar winery out of Leesburg, Virginia, which is Northern Virginia, kind of in the mountains. I'm, I'm not 100%, but it's their 2015 Vignet, 13.3% alcohol by volume, 3.62 pH, 100% uh, stainless steel fermentation. Um, Now, Jacob, Mm -hmm. this bottle, according to several of the wine sites, $30, 28 on their... uh, so like I found their you know press page mm-hmm. uh, for the wine, which when you go to their website, doesn't really have a lot about it, but the press page is like awesome. It's got a bunch of notes about a bunch of different stuff. So if we, if you had lived locally still, I've been like, we got to track down a bunch more from these guys because they had notes on kind of all of the varietals that they grow yeah. on like the harvest and things like that. Um, but this one, supposedly $30 bottle of wine, Kroger says 19.49. I got it for 12.38. Oh, that's, a, that's a very good deal if, if what is online is to be believed. That's an outstanding deal. I mean, that's yeah. a... Wait, what, what is that? That's $18 savings? Yeah, something like that. Um, wow. So my complaint about this one is it's much more Chardonnay tasting than I remember the last bottle. Okay. Now, again, might not have the right bottle, but I'll also say I have drank almost the entire bottle today. I have the last of it in a glass. So, mm. you know, maybe my flavors are a little off, but okay. uh, golden in color, um, you can taste the acidity, which is a little strong, but um, apparently there's like 0% um, residual sugars, but mm. it's not, you know, like with the uh, cabs and stuff where you, you have that, um, I want to call it tart, but it, it's the tannicness, the, the, in the kind of the acidity, the punch up front, mm-hmm. this still has a white wine fruit flavor. Um, and, but the acidity is there. So I'm going to take another sip and see if I can get a little bit on it. Are you sipping on anything? I am. I've got, uh, and I'll tell you, I, I, I always, I hate giving bad reviews on things. Mm -hmm. I've got, um, a uh a bordeaux um, oh my yeah it's la tonelle uh hot madoc mm-hmm. um i got it because it was on sale at total wine 14.99 as opposed to its normal price which is 19.99 um i it's hot madoc i was like okay well this is going to be sort of like the ones that we had with jackson mm-hmm. i got it and just nowhere near as the best way I can describe the other ones was a nowhere near as refined. Mm-hmm. So those had a very refined flavor. A lot of they stuff. Did, yes. It was very smooth, very subtle. This one is just a punch in the tongue. Oh. So, which is weird. Now that I had, I got it. This is actually a perfect time for me to transition into talking about this a little bit is, mm-hmm. uh, Victoria got me a pretty cool gift. It's called, uh, Ulo or Ulo. I'm not sure exactly how to say it. And it is a wine filter. 
So it has these little filter packs. It's like, it feels like it's kind of full of sand or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, you put it on, and I looked and read some reviews on it. And there's, there's some mixed reviews, but for the most part, people are like, no, this legitimately works. It does filter out things like sulfites, uh, which are added to wine a lot of times for preservative purposes. Uh, it helps wine age better. Um, there, but there's other additives as well. So mm-hmm. this this filters out a lot of those and kind of gives you a more um, pure wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also supposed to help reduce the hangover that's associated with drinking too much wine. And after our last episode, the New Year's episode, I, I started kind of examining my life and going, I really need some sort of hangover reduction thing, or I just need to drink less. So, well. Or, you know, you need to go to the greasy spoon in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but so I went ahead, I had one small glass of this without the filter mm-hmm. and just ugh, really attacked me. Well, let me, let me ask some questions. Okay. So what, one of the things that we learned from Jackson is that wine does need to be opened up. Mm-hmm. And this um, Torar Vignet does suggest that in the, you know, putting it in a decanter or something like that, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, did you let this open up at all? No. And, okay. And I'm actually getting to that but part of it. But did you use it. your aerator? No. And this, okay. is, this is what I'm getting to on it. Okay. So uh, the first glass just ugh, didn't didn't care for it. And I was like, man, I wasted 14 bucks or $15 on this. It's fourteen ninety nine. So, but then I was like, you know what? This is a good opportunity for me to try this filter because now I've tried it without it. And now let me try it with my old aerator that you and I have used before. Mm-hmm. So I used my old aerator a little better, but still not great. I went ahead and put it through this filter and the filter doubles as an aerator as well. And it's a much slower aerator than the one that I had before. So this is mm-hmm. like you fill up the top portion of it and it slowly goes through the aerator portion of this device. And, uh, and I got Victoria was there and she was very anxious to see if it was like a good deal because it's expensive. It's like 90 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a cheap thing. And, um, and or maybe it's $80 and the filters were an addition. I don't, I don't remember. I can look up the prices later, but, um, anyways, so I put it through this thing and I'm not expecting much, but one of the things I noticed when I pulled the filter off the top of the glass is that it's much, much more. Uh, aromatic. There's a lot more smells coming from it. A lot more, a lot less of the alcoholy smell. A lot more fruit flavors of dark, mm-hmm. dark fruits. Um, kind of a little bit of loaminess to it. Like, it, and I was like, wow, it actually smells a lot better now. But it may be just because it was stirred up and and put through this aerator portion. And I took a sip. Mark like a, a remarkably improved flavor. It, it had gotten rid of a lot of that like harsh, uh, not even acidic. It was like it was like a a bad match between acidicness and tanicness in it. That was kind of the problem with it. And having it gone through this filter and aerated, I guess, is what helped with it, really mellowed it out and made it a lot better tasting. It still wasn't great compared to the um, the other Burdos that we had, that we had with um, Jackson, which mm-hmm. I think everybody can go hear that episode. Uh, I don't remember exactly which one, but it's in the 30s. Um, mm-hmm. But... Not as good as that, but still a lot better. And then I and then I started kind of examining the bottle a little bit, and it turns out that this is a different blend than the Bordeaux blends we had. Oh. Yeah, so this is um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. The other one we had was Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petit Verdot, and Cab Franc. Mm-hmm. And so I, the Cab Franc, I think, is a much more – and actually – and I think I said this last episode, and I still haven't recorded it yet. I've got a, a mini episode where I'm going to kind of examine Terroir a little bit and compare four different Cab Francs that I've tried in the last uh, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that this is kind of – I'm going to be able to kind of give a little bit of a showcase on this uh, here is – Cab Franc does have a is, a, is a good wine to blend with Cab Sauve, I think, even though Cab Sauve is derived partially from Cab Franc, because it has a, it does have the tannicness, but it it's not as, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's not as young tasting. It tastes much more mellow, much more smooth, typically, than a, a Cab Sauve. The other difference between this Bordeaux and the one that we had before is that this is a 2016. The one you and I had together was a 2015. And then the one I had previously, which was the same uh, vineyard and same company as the one you and I had from 2015, was a 2014. And I did think the 2014 was much better than the 2015. So mm-hmm. now I've got a 2016, so it may be an age thing. It may be. They also put a vintage on it, so that you know that leads me to believe that they they were not satisfied, but um, mm-hmm. 
proud of the the work mm-hmm. um so this would be something to so um jackson presuming that you get an opportunity to listen to this episode love to hear your thoughts on it you know especially if uh coordinate some sort of response or something like that maybe do a um Maybe if Jackson can record a mini episode kind of commenting on it, that'd be fun. Um, But yeah, that is is really interesting that um, because it it seems like with the Bordeaux, at least from your perspective, Mm because I only had the one, which I I did much enjoy. Yeah. um, And I could definitely taste the professionalness of it. Yeah. Um, You know, that kind of like... We know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. It tasted like they. Yeah. It tasted like it tasted experienced. Like yeah. they knew what was up. Yeah, and you know our our understanding, and maybe Jackson can correct us a little bit, but um, you know the French don't generally super age the wine, so I wonder if like we went to that area, if you would be like if that's what Bordeaux tastes like in the average French mm-hmm. person's mind. Yeah, kind of more punchy, and you know. I'm making fisticuff yeah, yeah. Uh, hand motions. Um, but yeah, like, that's, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. what I'd like to, I'd almost like to, you know, what would be great is if you could say, eat a little bit of dry salami, yeah. have the wine just opened mm-hmm. and drink a half a glass, then use your original aerator, drink a half a glass and like, you know, do something in between. So like each, each thing is kind of like presenting the same position right? Um, and try all of those. And then, you know, try ultimately just opening it up and seeing if it's like, no, this is one of those ones that it just needs to be opened up and it's going to present different ways. Or, and like, does that filter do something different? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, an interesting idea, like on the filter, um, it kind of makes me think of like the, you know, when you're reading the wine labels and they're like, Oh, the state of California has sulfates to cause cancer. So don't drink this. Right. Well, you know, and and that's one of the things Victoria and I were actually just talking about it before we started the show. The uh-huh. the actual filters that you add to it because they're bought separately from the device itself, uh-huh. and you replace them. One filter is good for one bottle. Oh wow! But the problem is, I don't drink one bottle at a time most of the time. Usually, uh-huh. I drink a bottle over two or three days, uh-huh. and um, it says that you are also not supposed to let the filter dry out once you've used it. So I'm not sure what to do about that. And the filters themselves are about $2 each. So it, it does end up being kind of expensive. I was thinking about maybe saving, using it as an aerator because the aerator portion, I also use it tonight just to see what it was like without a filter. Mm-hmm. And the aerator itself, it, it the filter does make a difference. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's because going through that sand and stuff like that is getting more oxygen and stuff into it or if it is physically removing these quote-unquote impurities that change the flavor or make it more harsh or whatever. Um, but... It, it was better going through the aerator portion of the device without a filter than it is going through my old aerator. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this wine in particular was that if you go through all of the total wine reviews on it, there's a, a very decent handful of people with lots of reviews who say this is a difficult wine at first, but if you leave it out for about an hour in a decanter, it gets much, much better and it's much more interesting and it's a lot more smooth. Hmm. So my... my I think that my aerator has helped a little bit. It would be interesting to try this also the decanter and see how, what the difference would be between decanting it or just leaving it out in the glass for an hour mm-hmm. um, versus going through the old aerator, going through the new aerator, and then also going through the new aerator with the filter. It's just, you know, you and me both like these kind of experiment type things where it's like this way, this way with this, this way with this and this, this way yeah, with this other exactly. thing, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So, um, just real quick on mine. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. My, mine was sort of an aside, and we already we spent like, forever talking about it. <laughs> but it, but it was so. One of the things that I'll, I would like to point out about wine, and this is, so you get guys like Jackson who know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and it's clear from experience and not necessarily always reading. It, it, I, I won't say Jackson isn't well read on wine. But you can tell from like the actual taste and flavor, you know, it, he mm-hmm. does know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And then you get the people, not people, but like kind of the shortcut. Yeah. So like instead of just enjoying that bottle of wine straight like we normally would, right. now you've put in all these gadgets. And, yeah. and it kind of feels to me like those. Um, so there's a in the Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. um, which is a fantastically funny Cartoon Network series or Adult Swim series for those who haven't watched it. There's this guy called The Outrider. Mm-hmm. And he is like ahead, like he's way above another, his former teacher. And he took a shortcut by implanting a device in his head. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's kind of like one of those, is that device one of those things where 
like is there specific situations where that device truly does improve the situation or is it one of those things where it's like oh this is just a a way to get around your novelness and wine you know like kind of yeah. a, like oh it's 90 dollars, so it must be good you well know, yeah like it, the, it, it that is a difficult it's a difficult thing and you know victoria got it for me for christmas because mm-hmm. mostly well for new year's mostly just because when we were at the store i was like huh i'd like to try this but i don't want to try it for 90 dollars Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and now she's, you know, she's working, she makes a decent amount of money. So she's like, eh, I want to get him something that's interesting to him. And this is definitely yeah. super interesting to me. Uh, and, and I may not end up using it all the time, or, or I may only use it like when you come visit or when Nate comes there to visit and mm-hmm. when we're going to open up a bottle or open up two bottles and I can run the entire bottle through the filter, um, and, you know, and have it in aerated and decanted and all that sort of stuff. But we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah. Kind of going back to your wine because I do want to I want to share something a little bit about the varietal um, when you're done okay. talking well, about me, yours. Let me give the tasting notes, which I think yeah. kind of fit pretty well. Uh, the wine has some yin and yang feel to it. The aromas come acro- uh, across the board from simple citrus and pretty and pretty notes to cantaloupe, honey, and mango tones, and a slight classic peach pit characteristic. The palate has telltale vignette viscosity, which I really am picking up on while remaining fresh and long. Um, long, not necessarily fresh for sure. Um, this is a great sum- sim- summer sipping VO. Um, I really agree. It, it is a wonderful summer flavor to it. Um, it has a lot of Chardonnay feel to it. And I don't know if it's, you know, it could be 85% Vignet and 15% Chardonnay and they, they wouldn't have to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, they do seem to kind of give you some pretty strong statistics on the site. So um, my understanding is, yeah, it is straight Vignet. Um, Vignet might not be one that they mix generally, um, but like they've got the dates harvested um, they tell you about the three different vineyards it's harvested from. So I'm imagining if it was cut with something, they'd probably give you a little bit of that. Um, but I, I don't want to use the word ethereal, but it, it it's kind of missing from what I, maybe it's because I've had several vignettes recently mm-hmm. and maybe the crisp citrus and vibrancy of it um, is missing in this one because I've, I, I hadn't had a red or something like that in between. Um, it's very good. I mean, like if this is normally a $30 bottle of wine and from the other websites I could find it on, you know, it's not a total wine, but the other websites I could find it on, you know, they seem to be selling it for $30 still or 28 or so. Uh, there wasn't a lot of it made cause the, uh, the winery is kind of small, you know, Virginia wineries aren't usually very large. Um, but it's very good, but it, it seems to be missing something. And again, I don't know if it's, this specific bottle, maybe because I've just recently had a bunch of vignettes, um, but definitely worth checking out, especially if you can find it at Kroger in the Hampton Roads area. It's early January of 2019, so um, good luck finding it. Uh, but, you know, a, a very solid bottle of wine. Well, this is, you know, one of the lesser-known grape varietals that Virginia is, I guess, more known for is Vignette. Yeah, this is apparently Virginia's wine varietal. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, this is also the white varietal that Texas does very well, particularly the Texas High Plains. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's not a – I mean, it's not – I won't say it's uncommon, but it mm-hmm. is a less common white varietal in the United States. I mean, it was almost extinct in the 1930s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it – they, I guess, more recently discovered – with and by more recently, I mean within the last twenty years or so, that uh, Texas, which has a very young wine industry, uh, as far as modern wine is concerned, um, it, it they've they've been doing vignettes here now, particularly in the High Plains. And there's one in particular that I drink frequently, which is the McPherson Vignette. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that you know you kept pointing out that it does have kind of a Chardonnay quality to it, and and I agree that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Chardonnay, but this is sort of like a dry Chardonnay, uh, but I think it's a lot more, less generic tasting than Chardonnay, typically. So mm-hmm. um, I agree. No, I, I agree with that assessment altogether. Um, yeah, but it's a know, good alternative, I think, to Chardonnay. If, if you're a person... 100%. Yeah, if you're a person who's listening to the show and you kind of want to open your palate up and you like Chardonnay, I think Vignet's a really good step toward a more complex, more interesting wine. The ones here, I, I haven't had the one Mason that you had, but the McPherson mm-hmm. one that I drink frequently, um, I think it has a lot more of a uh, distinct floral taste, like more along the lines of like um, 
you know, blossoming orange trees. My Aunt Ronnie Sue used to have an orange tree in the front of her house when I was a little kid. And I, I whenever I, you know, I have this like very, very strong memory sense, uh, like scent connection. Mm-hmm. And whenever I drink something, it reminds me of somebody or a place or a time. And when I'm drinking the Vignette, it reminds me of when... Ronnie Sue used to live down in, I think it was Orangevale, actually, and she had the orange tree in her front yard. And when it bloomed, you could smell these, like I guess, orange blossoms. And that's kind of what this, the aroma of Vignet, at least the McPherson Vignet, reminds me of. And it also has a much more, um, like I would say Chardonnay a lot of times has kind of an apple taste. Mm-hmm. I would say that this is much more along the lines of a less sugar – like this is a weird way to describe it because peaches are so sugary. But it's like a less sugary peach mixed with like a nectarine. Like So it's got that kind of like plumminess to it a little bit, but it's like – it's not sugary. It's more like a peachy nectarine characteristic. It's almost – it's light citrus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, like yeah. a light citrus. It's it's more floral mm-hmm. um, and and not sweet. Usually they're dry. I think you could probably get sweeter vignettes, but they tend to be fully fermented and having almost no sugar in them. Uh, but they but because they have a stronger citrusy fruity flavor, or sometimes appley, sometimes pear-y, uh, since they have these additional flavors, they they can kind of seem sweet, even though they're not technically sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this is. Um... This is the uniqueness of like grape varietal. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a cab generally is fully converted for sugars, mm-hmm. but they're not sweetly. Sweet isn't the right word. There's something bright about these. And again, cabs can be bright too, but like there's a higher acidity to them, or maybe it's a more tannicness to the red. I hate to use because like cabs don't aren't always necessarily aggressive. Like pina isn't an aggressive wine. Mm-hmm. At least the one we had wasn't like aggressive, but it was cab. Right. Whereas like you know the cheap cabs are kind of like punchy. Yeah. Like uh, like I, I listened to the uh, Dan Garland uh, um, World War One, and he's always talking about like a drunk prize fighter. Mm-hmm. Like cabs, cabs and Chardonnay kind of like those classic, you know big variety big production varietals yeah. where and here's the thing like i'm sure a 90 dollar cab is a wonderful bottle of wine well i mean we know that it's a wonderful bottle of wine we've had a 90 dollar cab well, a 95 dollar cab uh, with no, excuse me chardonnay oh chardonnay oh, i see what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah like i'm sure like a, a 90 you know 80 90 dollar bottle of chardonnay is really good and i'm sure like you know jackson or, or somebody you know kind of who's better experienced in varietals in production areas could probably point out a fifteen dollar bottle cab that is represent a cab Chardonnay, uh, yeah. Chardonnay that is representative of Chardonnay and mm-hmm. would get the Chardonnay point across. Whereas, you know, you and I have like, oh barefoot Chardonnay and it's yeah. not that it's a bad thing, a bad bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. It's just it isn't it's just not it what, we're what we're for. looking yeah, for. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there are times where it'd be just what we're looking for, but it, it's like I rather spend a little more money and get a off brand Riesling. Yeah. Like and the acidity on that and you know I, i'll drink a sweet or a semi-sweet riesling mm-hmm. whereas you know you don't like the sweetness as much but that's just one of those things where oh my goodness i can think of excuse me it, it has this like it's what i want chardonnay to be yeah and you know maybe like if we ever got into chardonnays we'd find the winemakers who are experimenting with like fermentations and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and trying different things and you know we might find those ones where it's like oh this is really unique but like most chardonnays to me are like buttery white wine but not like the new oak butteriness to it yeah it's just kind of like this is the varietal yeah and it, it just doesn't do anything for me but like as jacob said like if you like chardonnay you probably will really like vignette mm-hmm. And with Vignet, like especially if you're in Virginia, because it is a, a pretty heavily produced one here. Um, well, it is and it isn't. It's what we're kind of known for. You can get some pretty good, um, you know, pretty good examples of the varietal, and not at a huge cost. Now, if you're used to spending seven dollars on a bottle of Chardonnay, yeah, you're not getting Vignet for that cheap. At yeah. least, not anything that I've seen. I'd well, still be yeah. willing to try it at seven dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, and kind of like staying on the on the notes of of white wines, I've I've actually been branching out a little bit into semi sweets. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another one that I would say is Chardonnay similar, but mm-hmm. uh, not – I wouldn't even say Chardonnay similar exactly. But it's a white wine that I think if you like Chardonnay, you might like this as well. And it's a good opportunity to explore something a little bit different, and that's uh, Alberino. 
Um, oh, the Williamsburg Winery does like 100% Albarino. Oh, really? Have, yeah. you, have you had it? No. Um, okay. I was looking at their website. I thought when you come out to visit okay. in the spring, we would go. Okay. We should we should go up there because yeah. I am going to come out there. I'm going to try to come out for a couple of days at least and, um, mm-hmm. and I think in March. Okay. So and we'll we'll try to do that. Yeah. But kind of going back to the Albarino, I've the only my only complaint with the Albarino that I've had is that for some reason McPherson makes them like ridiculously tall bottles, so I can't stand them upright in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I have to drink it all. But uh, <laughs> they're usually low alcohol, so it's not terrible. Uh, the other white wine, so one kind of on Albarino, a characteristic that I've noticed about a lot of white wines is they are much more. Um, floral like that, that's the only way i can describe it it's, they're much more flowery than a lot of mm. the reds uh they describe alberino as having a botanical aroma and i'm not exactly sure what that means uh but it's uh it is different but it's yeah, I, similar I, enough i think botanical if you kind of were in a flower garden mm-hmm. but not like a production flower garden okay like kind of like the Northrop Botanical Garden, where you have the 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 smell and background of Virginia forest, yeah, with okay. flowers. Okay, like yeah, I, I could see that. Then that that would make that would make sense. I don't I don't have any memories that jump to me or whatever that that reminds me of it. It's um, actually, you know, who would be great to ask about this? I'm sure you can guess, Mason. I would guess Jackson. Yeah, and I think the reason. I would is because I think it's actually native to Glacia, uh, and so I, he probably has a lot to say about it, or he, he probably knows a lot. So Jackson, mm-hmm. one of these days we'll do we'll do an episode with Albarinos, and and maybe you can tell us a little bit. But yeah. also in the same vein of of white wines that I've that can be semi sweet, some of them are dry that I don't think are terrible. Um, and this is coming from a heavy red wine drinker. Um, Petite Mensang is mm-hmm. I think also good. Uh, for people who probably like Chardonnay and want to kind of branch out a little bit, um, I, I, I think they're actually called something else besides Petite Mensang, but uh, mm-hmm. they're I think they're from southern France or maybe from northern Spain. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but uh, they are a lot more peachy and apricotty than other white wines. I think and. Um, and I've had one or two, as I said, I'm trying to branch out a little bit into white wines just to kind of make myself a little bit more well-rounded, particularly for the show, but just for my own uh, gains, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But And then there's a German white varietal that I can never pronounce uh, that I, I've always thought um, – actually, I think it might be a blush now that I think of it. I haven't had it, but I've always thought that maybe uh, it's something you would like to try, but it's it's like – I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's a G or a G E W U with two dots over it. R Z T R A M I N E R. So it would be like Gerwurztraminer. One more time. G E W U R Z. Gerwurztraminer. Yeah, I have no idea how to say that, dude. <laughs> yeah. So you've had this. I have. Okay. I think. I think it's I think it's a blush. I don't I'm not sure if we've had it or not, but it could be a white wine. Uh but it, it, it's it's on my list to try and the only reason it's on my list to try is because I think it's like an alternative to to dry riesling and I've always wanted uh, the one that I'm thinking of mm-hmm. and I might be you know the German might be different. Um it was a very very sweet cheap wine that we had one time. It was the remember the the time we um we had a planning meeting. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. and I wasn't crazy about that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so interesting. Okay, then I have had that. So this it's on my list to try, but I've I've been told that if you like Vignet, then Petit Mensang, this German one, um you know, certain types of dry Chardonnays, uh, those types, uh, Alberino are all going to be good ones for you to try out just to kind of branch out a little bit. And that's kind of what the show is about. Even though this is a Liberty oriented show, it's more of a wine oriented show. And, uh, we you know want people to try new things and we want to try new things. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we actually had recently our first ever suggestion and we're going to try to do an episode yes. on that. And, um, before the show's over, I've got, I'll, I'll plug that individual because mm-hmm. they suggested it to us. And I've got another plug that I wanted to do for the show, but we're going to save those to the end. Okay. Um, but let's so go ahead. You want to move on or do you want to? I think it's time to transition. Yeah, I think it is tra- time to transition. And I, what I wanted to transition into, Mason, is uh, one article that kind of caught a news article from Fortune that caught my attention. You know, I, mm-hmm. I read a lot of the financial 
magazines and stuff, Wall Street Journal and Fortune and, and Forbes and that sort of stuff just because they're interesting to me. But um, an article that came up in Fortune this week was about the shutdown and the, the government shutdown. The, exactly. The government shutdown, which I guess we're, what, 13 days into that at this point or 12 days maybe? Uh, I don't know. I'm not paying attention. To <laughs> well, I mean, and rightfully so because it really doesn't mean anything to the average individual. Well, I mean, living in Hampton Roads means a huge amount, but I guess that's true. Yeah, you yeah. got there's some people who are missing their pay and stuff like that because it's mm-hmm. such a heavy government. Uh, oh yeah, very government community. But um, one of the things that this affects is, and they point this out in the article, is our favorite bureau, the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, and also known as the fuckers. Yeah, exactly. Who are in control of very strange things. And mm-hmm. one of the very strange things that we've talked a lot about is that they're in charge of uh, American viticulture areas deciding, you know, is this Willamette Valley or is this Russian River Valley or is this, you know, uh, Umqua Valley or, you know, all those types mm-hmm. of things. But they're also in charge of approving the labels on new beer and new wine. And this is what the Forbes article is about is that right now it's not a problem, but we'll see how long it, how long this government shutdowns last. I mean, for you and me, I kind of hope it lasts a long time so that people can, uh, can adapt and, and move beyond it and realize that the government's not that important. But uh, it does kind of put a hamper on people trying to get their labels approved uh, mm-hmm. so that they can sell beer and wine. And right now you can submit, according to the article, you can submit all the labels you want. They're just not going to be approved until after the government shutdown is over and the appropriations have been restored. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think of like how to transition this into how this is going to affect because from what the article says, it's really not that important because usually the labels are submitted months ahead of time and then approved. And then as we learned in the copper case or the copper cane case, even if they're approved later on, they could be rejected. But <laughs> well, let's, I'll use an example as you think about it a little bit. Yeah. Like, so they're planned and approved months ahead of time, but beer and wine aren't immediate things. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about like launching a new beer for the summer and you're going to roll out a new label for it and everything like that, you're trying to get that approved now, especially if you're like a small brewery mm-hmm. or let's say that you're a brewery that launched yesterday, you have all the varietals you want, you have the labels picked out, and then you find out this thing is something that you're required to do. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, one of the things that we saw is apparently like if you're going to use new ingredients, which I don't really know what that means. You're supposed to get their approval. Right. So well, like, I think what that means is that you need to get their approval if you want to make and sell. Let's say that no beer has ever used uh, raw rutabaga, mm-hmm. like ground up and mixed into the post-fermentation process or something like that. To like, you know, So now you're selling – you want to sell this rutabaga beer, which you know, now that I've thought about it, like that might be a good beer because I like rutabaga pie. But uh, let's say you want to include rutabaga in your beer and nobody's ever used rutabaga before. My guess would be that you have to submit to them that you want to include rutabaga in your beer and then sell it. And then they have to approve whether or not this is an okay additive or not. Yeah, see, that's the thing is I can't imagine it's that okay. that light, okay. let's say. Because if you're like, yeah, people put like, but people have been putting citrus peel sure. and oregano, not oregano, but those sort of like additional things into beer for a very long time. I can't imagine that like the article would go out of the way of pointing out something. There's not that heavy of an experimentation, let's say, that I could imagine they're trying to point this out. Like, I really think it's like if you've already had a pre approved thing. And you're modifying it, you have to get approval again. Now, maybe somebody out there knows what this means. Maybe we have some brewers or somebody like that who does commercial production of any alcoholic things that understands what this actually means and gives a little bit of better insight. But, like, I can't imagine, like, I don't disagree that you probably have to get the rutabaga thing approved. Okay. But I'm betting it's way more restrictive than that. Like, okay. more you, you more frequently have to get approval than that. Because why else would it be a thing? You know what I mean? That's like true. The, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the level of, I don't want to use the word malevolence, but like why else would it come up mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking. But yeah, that's the the thing that's like so insidious about this is like if you're going to be a new brewery, well, like let's say I'm going to brew and I'm going to brew in Leesburg, not Leesburg, but like Farmville, Virginia, which mm-hmm. is like very central Virginia, kind of hard to get to. There's yeah. not a lot of like highways that go there. That's where my, my cousin my cousin lives in Farmville. Which one? 
uh, Robert, the the professor. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, it is. It's like it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's very difficult to get there. Yeah, and it and but it's like a big town. Yeah, for the area. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, I'm going to produce a brewery there, and I'm not going to export anything. I'm going to sell on premise. I apparently have to have federal approval. Yeah. Why? I, like I, that's a good question because according to this article, if you want to open a new brewery or a new winery or a new distillery or whatever. You need to have federal approval to open up a new site and not just a new individual, not just a new one in general, a, any individual location you'll need, yeah. you need federal approval for I that. Mean, let's just take like constitutionalism as a thing. Yeah. What does the constitute, like, like I'm not interacting in like interstate trade. Right. Now, like, I guess their argument of like, what was the argument? Like, oh, by only selling internally, you're still affecting, you know, macro level trade or some bullshit like that. But like, what? Like, this is one of those things of like, I really wish Trump would just like kind of review things like this and be like, yeah, you know, I was looking at it and uh, I don't understand why we're spending however many billions of dollars we are on this bullshit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a weird. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it was a weird article. It really caught my eye, and it and I and I wanted to talk a little bit about the shutdown just because it, it's it is hot news, and I wanted to know, mm-hmm. you know, does this affect what what the industry that you and I are most interested in, alcohol and just alcohol yeah. in general? And and that's the thing is like that's what's so like what people don't seem to understand about the government is how insidious it is. Like you can't open a brewery in xyz place that has no intention of going to a big national without the federal government's approval yeah yeah it's it's it is it's it's so so bizarre it's such like i i didn't realize until now you and i are talking about how annoyed you were about this because you and i texted back and forth a little bit about it and to me it was just kind of like oh they're at it again but like clearly this is like a a very visceral response for you so i i I I think that's interesting an entire bottle went wine in for the day. That's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, that's the thing like that, you know, one of the things that, and I don't, I like where we've been going as a show. Yeah. And I understand and appreciate cultural, like a lot of, you know, like when you were on uh, the fag cast yeah. and then they were talking about how we aren't always so ham fisted about our politics. Yeah. And no offense to bird or car, but I was like, have they listened to the show? Right. Because like, to me, like, it seems like we're always like, effing government. Well, <laughs> you know what? And I actually, and I'll do this plug right now. Um, mm-hmm. I was on Sounds Like Liberty, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure when that episode's going to come out, but I am patiently waiting for okay, that. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's a good episode, or at least I felt good recording it. And I think that the, it's actually a very interesting show. I'm going to, plug mm-hmm. it again at the end at the end of our episode just because yeah. uh i've been listening to them lately it's kind of i've since they asked me to be on their show i i'm the type of guy who um i don't like to be unprepared so mm-hmm. uh it's when they asked me to be on the show i went back back and listened to like 30 of their episodes well i think i don't think they have 30 episodes well maybe they do i don't i don't remember I how many do. episodes but i i went and listened to like 15 episodes in a row the one with bob mm-hmm. murphy where he talks about les miserables because apparently that's his jam um, I, I listened <laughs> yeah. to the one with Rollo McFrugal, who's from the Rollo and Slappy show. Uh, you know, uh, Sherry Voluntary was on recently, who's got a, uh, the postcards from Somalia podcast. Um, they, they've had a lot of really good guests on and a lot of very interesting guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back and I listened to a lot of those just to see what the show was going to be, what I could expect and all that sort of stuff. But one of the points that I tried to make on that show and, and through the conversation with them, I was getting at is that it's not exactly that I want to separate our cultural, our, our lives from the politics, because as like you and me both know this as like pretty hardcore ANCAPs and, and, you know, my wife also a pretty hardcore ANCAP, like it affects every single aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. It, it's like being a, a Christian. It's like, no, this is, this is all stuff. I mean, I don't know about atheism, how that affects you, Mason, but for me, like my religion does also very strongly impact my entire life on a day-to-day basis. And my response to somebody mentioning Woodrow Wilson, for example, is such a visceral anti-Woodrow Wilson response because, and it does affect me greatly. Mm-hmm. But je- the, the point, I guess, of trying to bring the second wave of a libertarian podcast or maybe the, we're the third, I'm not sure, but, um, whatever it is, uh, this kind of second wave that is not so heavily focused on the politics and philosophy, but more focused on a wider range of interests because it's an, it's a good gateway for other people. It's, they can see that like, we're not only focused on politics and that sort of stuff, but like, as Carr said, the people who are already anarchists are already on board with the perspective we're going to have on alcohol and wine. Mm -hmm. The people who are not where we are are already on board with liking wine. 
or liking beer or liking whatever it is that we're going to be talking about that's mm-hmm. going to appeal to them. Mm-hmm. And, and for you and me, it's it's wine. And uh, we're going to start being doing, you know, starting two weeks from now, I guess we're going to be doing monthly installments of uh, Jory Lindsay's uh, beer recommendation of the month or whatever. Uh-huh. So yeah, her and I are trying to organize that. So she, she liked it. She's, it was a pretty popular episode, third most downloaded episode as of right now. And, uh, she's happy to do a beer review once a month with us. Well, I, I will say, uh, thank you, Jerry. I, I really enjoyed that segment. Uh, you know, as I've always mentioned, I enjoy the, the family history. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of the things that, and you know, maybe it's like my memory of the show. Yeah. Um, since it's you haven't been here is different than us being in your dining room, living kitchen room mm-hmm. thingy that that was that apartment. Yeah. Where like to me, we always were talking about like the politics heavy. You know. Well, the, and and, the, and and I and I want to continue doing that. But I, oh, it's, I it's not it's not that it, it's not that I don't want to talk about the politics. It's that I what I would like for this type of show or like the sounds like Liberty show that one of what they're trying to do or what the fags are trying to do over the fag cast is, is sort of introduce the wider community to libertarian culture. So mm-hmm. like, or anarchist culture, there is a culture around this and we're not, we're not only hyper-focused on politics, but our politics affects every other aspect of us. So like, yeah, you, it, you know, there's it, tons of other stuff. Like I could, I could easily do a hardcore libertarian show on sci-fi and actually mm-hmm. you, you probably could too. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the thing is like what I, what I think people who don't, that don't live the life that we do and I, and this isn't from an anarchist perspective, but like even like socialists and communists and you know heavy republicans and democrats whatever however your political position stands you can't help but hear a position mm-hmm. in a visual viscerally respond to what's going on like especially from like a political standpoint like um you know both of us really enjoyed pretty much every show anthony bourdain did yeah and when we heard that he had killed himself we both had not different responses but different levels along the same spectrums yeah you know sorriness for his family sorriness for him to to feel that he didn't want to live anymore or you know people murdered him whatever whatever the position is that you know we ultimately come down on i i I do question some things about how it was handled by the french government and then you know that takes us back along the path of government what's it doing sort of things but like I, we were watching the eleventh season. My wife and I this weekend, kind of trying to find something to watch that wasn't, you know, King of the Hill again, mm-hmm. or you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he did this episode on West Virginia, which, like, I almost was texting you about, like, what if West Virginia came back to be part of Virginia, like, because West Virginia is so deficient in so many things. Like, what if, like, they came back to be part of Virginia to kind of like <laughs> suckle on the teat of Virginia, you yeah. know, like that. And like it was a like it was this weird like I want West Virginia back because I don't like I love like you know you see these still shots of West Virginia and the mountains and the hollers and like this very Appalachia which is kind of like it it's not California mountains it's definitely East Coast mountains mm-hmm. but it is so beautiful and serene and like yeah. the people were so friendly but like his like just how the government is better like it's just like sucking up to the teeth of the government ruined this place right. Well, this is this is a really good transition into another topic that I just kind of wanted to touch on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, have you heard? So the UK has a new minister position. I don't know Since exactly. 2018, early 2018. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. I, well, According new, to new the enough. one article I could find on it. Okay. So I don't know what then why it's coming <laughs> up so much. I Victoria listens to Wall Street Journal a lot. Mm-hmm. You're you're right. It is January seventeenth, twenty eighteen. I've never heard of this position, and I don't understand exactly it's how not a cabinet level position. Okay. So they have a minister for loneliness. Mm-hmm. And my immediate response to this was kind of like, this is absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, I do think loneliness is a problem, especially for uh, for me who, like, I've been lonely in my life. And it, and I, but I've always blamed my loneliness on coming from a family that's as big as mine and then going to living by myself. Mm-hmm. was like, it was a bad transition. I didn't like it. Yeah. And I've never really wanted to interact with anybody, but I like people being around. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like when I heard this, I was like, well, I could see loneliness being a problem. I think it's ridiculous that they're ha- they have a minister for loneliness, especially since like, that sounds like an insult. Like when you're, when you're like sisters having a bad day, when you're kids 
and she's like, man, my life sucks or whatever, or like, I have no friends or whatever. It seems like the brother would come in and be like, what are you minister for loneliness? Like it, it sounds like an insult. So, yeah. so like when I heard it, I was like, is this a joke? Cause Victoria was listening to it on uh, wall street journal podcast. I was like, are, is this a real position? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's a real position. I was like, this is bizarre that they, that they have it. But then like, I started looking at whatever, what other ministers there are and they have ministers for all sorts of bizarre stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, one of the things, it, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, one of the things that like the problem is the word minister yeah. for, for the way you were originally looking at it. Because this is like committee for this in the Senate or yeah. the House where like, you know, there's millions of them or not millions, but there's a bunch where you're just like, that's a thing. Yeah. Like or like the, you know, the government grant for this, it, you know, hmm. it is ridiculous. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things to see. So that was my immediate response was just like, this is ridiculous and silly. My secondary response, though, was that that. If there really is a loneliness epidemic and and the information that they cited, I, I have an NPR article about it um, and, you know, NPR, take it or leave it. But they're, they kind of were going over that like in the UK, the figures are that more than 9 million people in the UK always or – this is a quote – always or often feel lonely. And then it also says that around 200,000 older people uh, have not had a conversation with a friend or relative in more than a month. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know if I believe that it might that might be true, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I need I'd need to look more into the statistical research of it. And but even if it was you know a million people, it would still be that seems like a big deal. Um, now they also kind of went in to the health effects of this, and they were saying that the research shows that loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. Mm, that seems like a stretch, but maybe um, it also is has the same effect as being obese. That was a less radical study. So a less radical study. I think being obese is like a massively larger impact on your health than smoking 15 cigarettes. You really, you think so? Okay. I, I would oh, have yeah. to, I would have to look into that. I'm not sure. Um, but one of the things that this triggered in my mind and you know how like my mind works, it goes like it jumps from topic to topic and, and, mm-hmm. and what it triggered my mind was the government intervention in communities that has gotten rid of things like fraternal organizations. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that the, that, in the articles that I were, was reading about this, they, they blame a lot of this on um, modern society, people living further away from their families, the internet, um, you know, cell phones, people not interacting as much with each other, being able to order things online, all, all those types of things were being blamed for people not interacting with each other. And so now we've got to have the government come in and force people basically to interact with each other so we can solve this loneliness problem. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I see a much more sinister government cause of this if it is indeed as big of a deal as it is and that is that since the government has instituted such a you know quote unquote generous welfare state you've gotten rid of a lot of community based solutions such as fraternal organizations mutual aid societies uh, these mm-hmm. types of things because there used to be such a big stigma for taking what i would call very antisocial solutions to your problems such as government uh, charity or it would be charity but government subsidies or whatever dole um, as opposed to being a member of a fraternal organization or a mutual aid society, which is a very community oriented, um, I'm in a bad spot, you can help me, and later on maybe I'll help you. And it's structured in such a way that you don't have as many free riders as on the in the welfare state. Um, but at the same time, this took care of a lot of the loneliness aspects. If your family died before you died, or if your family lived far away from you, know, from you, you could always go down to the lodge and you could hang out with your buddies or, mm-hmm. or just people there and have some sort of human interaction. Well, so there's a, there's a couple of things that I want to point out because I think we read quotes from the same rough article, okay. um, whether they were from the same article or, you know, like so many mm-hmm. places like reprint and stuff like that. Right. Like there's one lady, like her complaint was she moved to a community that was a county that was further away from where she lived from because she downsized her house because her son moved out of the country. But it's like, why did he move out of the country? And like, you can look at all these like government issues and causes, but like one of the things that, so every night after when part of my daughter's wind down procedures are to, you know, FaceTime call my parents. Okay. So that's, we FaceTime call cute. my I didn't know that. <laughs> what was that? I said, that's cute. I didn't know that. Yeah. And my daughter doesn't always talk to them. Like doesn't always interact with them, but we do it pretty much every night. You know, if we saw them during the day, we generally don't. But, like, they live 15, 20 minutes away. Yeah. You know how far that way they live from my, my, my house? Not that far. Yeah. So in a day and age where pretty much anyone can afford a cell phone, we're literally talking on a free to 
free internet service. We make this podcast through a free internet service. Mm -hmm. The idea that you haven't communicated with your family and that's something you want to do is to me is epidemic of like how dumb people are. And instead of focusing on like how the internet has provided all of these opportunities to enrich oneself. It's like, I don't have anyone to talk to. Yeah. You you couldn't Skype your grandkids. You couldn't yeah. Skype your best friend. Like you couldn't go on YouTube and figure out how to do that. Like they, they present these like illogical arguments and like, Oh, we need to, we need to spend money and figure these things out. And then you're, you know, you're talking about like fraternal organizations and these other things that people used to do like the UK, like what's one of our favorite shows, the Decemberists. Yeah. Like the club. No, no, the, the Detectorists. Detectorists. Yeah. yeah. Decemberists is a band. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, well, I used to enjoy, yeah. but like the, the Detectorists, it's literally about a club. And like, that's one of the things like I kind of, when watching the show kind of like missed the idea of in like, it yeah. is a club and these things well you and i met at a club basically yeah. and, and that's the thing is like people like you and i's generation like don't like to meet online but like if you live in the uk you don't live that far away from everybody else like you can get or go call these people and do these things and like the idea that you need a government ministry to tell you that you should try skype yeah like, right Right. Yeah, exactly. Or like the, that you need to spend, I think they were saying that like they appropriated like 500 million pounds or something like that for this. And it's like, I, I mean, spread across all of the people that are supposedly lonely, that's not that much money. But at the same time, like, it, and I, you know, I'm, I'm much more uh, of a... Nine million people are lonely? Uh, yeah. Nine was million it? Was it nine lonely? million? Yeah. Okay. 500 million pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, it says, uh, yeah, 9 million people are lonely. And of those 9 million, 200,000 of them are quote unquote older people. Yeah. Isn't that like 45 million pounds per? No, no, no. Uh, uh, well, no. Yeah. You're right. That is. That's a lot of money. No, no, no. It's for yeah. 45,000. 45,000. Eh, I don't know the math, but, uh, you could do the math if you want to real quick. But like my point, you know, and, and being kind of a conservative minded anarchist, <laughs> I guess, is that I always kind of look back to the past and go like, well, why wasn't, the, why didn't this used to be yeah, a problem? It's like, hang on a second. Yeah. Let me add in another zero in there. It's like, so 50, you know, 500 million divided by 9 million is 55. That's okay. 55 million pounds per 1 million persons. That's a lot of pounds. Yeah. That's, that's, Freaking ridiculous! Like Sky, like I was lonely. I started a podcast with you. Yeah, like well, I mean, I mean you like you, you and me both had like a time in our life where it was kind of like I don't. I mean, I would say I, I would say I was lonely, but it wasn't like clinical depression or anything like that. It was just kind of like I don't really understand functioning in the world without a very large family coming and going all the time. Yeah, and and that's the thing is like I'm at that point where like I weekly talk to you and I talk to my wife every day because I live with her. I talk to yeah. my daughter every day because I live with her. I talk to my parents every day because I you know video chat with my my daughter and my parents. But like I don't talk to like our other mutual friends every yeah. day. I try to like come up with reasons to communicate with them. Like Nate's not super responsive. I don't. It, it's not that I wouldn't text with Jackson, but like I don't have a direct means to communicate with Jackson or yeah. like the fags or um, these other people in the, the Liberty movement that we, we know. Like I'm sitting here like often going like, well, well, how do I like, what do I do? Like I want to do stuff. Like I, I routinely like kind of come up with like, how do I do stuff? But like, I don't go, let me look up a government program. Let me spend $500 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when you and I were out of high school, I think you and I have had this conversation before. Part of the reason why we started going to the libertarian stuff was because we were like, well, I don't know how to make friends now that we're not in school. Well, like part, well, I, I started going to libertarian meetings because I moved back after being away for three years and like my core friend group didn't live here or didn't interact the same way anymore. Right. And I was just like, oh, I'll go to this thing. And then it was like, I met you and it was like game over. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that, that's kind of like where I'm getting at is that like you and I did seek out these more or less community oriented type things. And that used to be the norm. You would have a church, you'd have a fraternal organization, a mutual aid society, one of these types of things. And a lot of those types of organizations, the church has changed quite a bit. And, and I would argue the church has changed a lot because of government, uh, government intervention mm -hmm. and propaganda, yeah. but also 
the mutual aid societies just don't really exist as much as they used to. I mean, there are still fraternal organizations. You still got, you know, watch out conspiracy theorists. You've still got the Freemasons. You've still got the Rotary Club. Yeah, the, the Shriners. Of Columbus. Yeah, the Lions. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of these groups still that exist that you can go mm-hmm. join, and and there's still churches that do have a lot of like different types of functions for people who, you know, want, I mean, one of the big things that, that when I used to go to the Baptist church a lot, one of the big things that we did was, uh, invite somebody over who didn't have a family for after church lunch at our house. Mm-hmm. It was like, look, they've got, they don't have anything to do. A lot of times they were, they were just really obnoxious people who you just didn't want to be around, but everybody yeah, needs they did have a family. They just didn't want to see them. Then that's the probably what it was. The family was just like, Oh, I, I can't stand to be around this, but people kind of become that way when they are, you know, starved for this interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, and I don't disagree with some of the stuff that they're saying in the article that like a lot of modern technology makes it, I wouldn't say counterintuitive, but uh, it makes it difficult in a, in a different way to interact with people. But I mean, that's really all I had to say about that article. I think that there, there's a really good article on Mises by uh, Joshua Fulton. I think actually we brought this article up before, and the article is called uh, "Welfare Before the Welfare State," and it's largely about mutual aid societies. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage everybody to go read that, and, and it's what kind of came to my mind when I read. Well, when I heard on the Wall Street Journal podcast about this minister of loneliness is it may legitimately be a problem, but it's likely a problem that is caused by the government intervention. And and I think that you and I have pointed out a couple of places where it is very likely, very likely caused by the government and that the government is not going to solve this problem, especially with a 500 million pound appropriation to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and that's the, I, I think that's a kind of a good closing note. It, yeah. It's. If you're looking for the government to solve your problems, especially ones that manifest themselves because of government action, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. So let's go ahead and, and wrap it up with uh, a, another recap of your wine, Mason, because I know that our New Year's resolution this year is is not to ramble for three hours, but to only ramble for two hours. Yes. And actually, I think we're under we're we're getting close to an hour at this point. So let's let's try to. Keep this under under uh, at a reasonable amount of time so that we can put out two episodes a week instead of just one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had the Vignet 2015 from the Terrar T-A-R-A-R-A winery out of Leesburg, Virginia. Um, as far as Vignets go, this is definitely a good introduction. Um, very citrusy, kind of on the taste, um, bright definitely a a white good white wine flavor um i got it at kroger i got it on sale um they say it's supposed to be like 30 dollars. i got it for 12 uh, 38 which is a great per glass uh wine uh price i got it for uh, 13 or it's 13.3 percent alcohol by volume 3.6 ph um yeah like for a vignette, it's not exactly what I was looking for because it's a little more toward Chardonnay, but I don't know if it's specifically this bottle because I think I had two bottles of this recently um, or I had a different bottle of this previously, the the same, everything the same except for just literally a different bottle. Um, and I seem to remember it being a little different, but yeah, it, it's a wine variety that I am definitely going to keep in my wheelhouse. Um, good acidity to it but not overpowering um, and still kind of sweet, even though it had 100% supposedly of the residual sugars consumed. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that to me, that sounds like something I want to try. I did look for it here, but it sounds like it's more of a Virginia area thing. Yeah. So maybe when I'm out there, we can, we can track one down or we can, or we can get something similar and, and try that together. Yeah. Um, let me go ahead and do a couple of plugs for external people before we do the plugs for our own show. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you guys heard, uh, I, we mentioned the Fagcast a lot. That's the Friends Against Government with uh, Car Campit and Bird Arcus. They are a, a lot of fun to listen to. They do they, they range in topics from like very serious topics such as um, pirate radio and ending the war on drugs, and all the way to things like the Goat Man of Lake Worth. Um, so they have a, a very wide range of stuff. It can be conspiracy, it can be political, it can just be comedy kind of stuff. They're, it's a really, really great show. I enjoy it a lot. And um, because they announced it on their last episode, I'll go ahead and announce it here. Uh, uh, Car Campit and I are working on a possible libertarian gathering in Texas. Uh, hopefully, Mason, you'll be able to come out, and hopefully, Bird will be able to come out too. And it can be like a power hour of the Tasting Anarchy, Friends Against Government, and any other types of podcasters who want to come out 
type of thing. Um, it's yes. probably going to be lots of drinking, lots of camping, uh, and whatever uh, whatever other types of shenanigans down near the Austin area. But mm-hmm. we'll uh, give more information about that later. Um, another plug, I, I also mentioned this earlier, Sounds Like Liberty, really great show. I'm a guest on it in, uh, I don't know when my episode's going to come out, but I did an interview with them. I'd like to have them on to do an interview with you and me, Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see you know, what happens with that. But check out that show. The the very amazing Bob Murphy is on there. His episode's really great, so I, I, that one I highly recommend just because he's his musical taste is very interesting. I knew he was a musician, but he has like very specific things that he really likes. Les Mis, the 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 musical portion of Les Mis is like his 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 wheelhouse. I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, and, and, and but it comes from his mom. I mean, it's a very sweet episode. Yeah, um, I definitely listened to that one. Um, but they also have you know Mark and. Um, Mark Claire and uh, That's right, Brian yeah. McWilliams from Lions of Liberty. Um, I mean, they have a lot of, so this is one of the things I really like about the libertarian movement. Um, you know, they've got Bob, they have, you know, Mark and um, yeah, they, they Brian Rollo McFrugal was on there, Brian McWilliams, yeah. a lot of really interesting, Sherry Voluntary, uh, a lot of really great uh guests I, I recommend the podcast especially if you have any interest in music they mm-hmm. they have an interesting form out of the show so go ahead and check them out and uh, what i was going to say ahead. just real quick is yeah. like you know bird and car have you know had scott horton on they're helping scott horton do stuff for his new book that's right like you know the the greats in libertarianism aren't like you know what what podcast that is you know and this is not a knock on fags or sounds like liberty but like do they have like you know like what democrat podcast of their level as you know donald not donald trump but uh hillary clinton or like you know somebody like that yeah some of the greats yeah our our equivalent yeah like our campaign manager or something like that and here scott horton is on you know the fad cast and those guys have you know 40 episodes or so which is you know there's a little bit more than us but it's not like they have 155 episodes and they've had tom and these other people you know scott's a big name oh yeah huge name huge and and for you know just for you and me somebody that we immensely look up to yeah and and that's what's so great about like the like the libertarian sphere is like you know you don't have to move far up from us to, to get to the like the shoulders of you know to be standing with Tom Woods in the room you know sort yeah, of thing exactly and right. yeah so then Jacob where can people follow you uh, telling uh, Pocahontas in uh, <laughs> one two hundred and twentieth okay well I, I I yeah I mostly operate the Twitter so it's at tastinganarchy.com. Uh earlier in the show we also mentioned that uh, somebody we had our first ever uh, request to do a show mm-hmm. uh, that was from our friend on Twitter. Um, it's Zarath Zarath Anarchy. I, his, that's his Twitter handle. It's at Zara Zarath Anarchy. Um, also, there is another friend of ours on Twitter, Mr. Sue Pseudo Intellectual. He is doing a new podcast that I wanted to shout out. His first episode, I believe, comes out on uh, Monday the seventh, January seventh, mm-hmm. uh, and it is just going to be called the Pseudo Intellectual. And it's, um, you know, just him talking about different liberty-minded things. Uh, that is, I believe, going to be on Dino's um, – that's the Dino of the Dino Files, who's another liberty podcast. Uh, I believe that's going to be on his network, so check that out. Uh, he's been a lot of fun to interact with online. He's also had a, a couple of wine recommendations for us, and he's mm-hmm. down in Austin, so I'm probably going to see him in the not-too-distant future. Fantastic. Uh, also, one last plug for other podcasts before we wrap up and give our plugs once again, and that is Robbie the Fire Bernstein's Run Your Mouth podcast. Uh, they have been, He has been having a few... Jacob, the, Jacob, yeah. Jacob. Well... AKA bird archivist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why why are you giving bird more room? Right. Yeah, exactly. So so uh Robbie the Fire, aka Bird Archist, uh has another podcast called the Run Your Mouth Podcast. They have been staging a pseudo fight, even though it's the same person between the fags and Run Your Mouth. But Run Your Mouth is a fun podcast. Um the uh alternative personality of Bird Archist, Robbie the Fire, is also a very funny comedian. Uh, so check out that podcast when you get a chance. And if you're in New York and he is uh, doing stand-up near you, go ahead and check out his stand-up. He's um, also the producer of Dave Smith's um, Part of the Problem podcast. So 
check that out. Uh, yeah. Also, like I said, you can you can talk to me directly if you want at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. You can also email me um, at Tasting Anar- or it's Tasting Anarchy at Gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I missing any Mason? Uh, Tasting Anarchy dot com itself, right. like it, uh, right. you know, our much beloved website that we apparently. I, I realize I haven't been posting the episodes too, and I thought we had some automation thing doing. Yeah, that. I thought I, I thought we did too, but I guess it's not working. So I'll no, I'll try to no. figure that out, and then also um, you and I just this year let's let's try to start doing some reviews and stuff like that. It mm-hmm. it is difficult to sometimes sit down and uh, write a review. But uh, maybe what we should do, Mason, you and I should brainstorm a review template that is easy mm-hmm. for us to fill out, and then maybe we can just fill out the template whenever we want to post something. Yeah, exactly. That would so, probably be a good idea. Uh, but so the the only other thing that I have is, uh, you know, I came up with it before Dave Wood or Dave Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked two of the best libertarians yeah, right. in my mind. <laughs> if only Tom cussed like Dave. Right, right. <laughs> Dave was clean as Tom. No, um, you know, that, uh, that we are secessionists. No, 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 uh, no. Abolitionists. Abolitionists. <laughs> you know, we are going to secede and we're going, you know, our abolition is against the government. Um, they don't deserve your respect. They don't deserve your time. They don't deserve your money. They put our Lars Ulbrich in jail for the rest of his life. And it is clear that every yeah. one of those people were more corrupt than anything Lars Ulbrich ever did. That's, that is absolutely 100% true. So on that a depressing note, which hopefully in, <laughs> in the neck, in the near future will become a less depressing note because I think that he is most deserving of a pardon. And yes. I believe that, uh, the universe or God or whatever will intervene and hopefully he will get that pardon. If so, only. yep. Um, so from Jake at Tasting Anarchy, stay free. Stay free. All right, have a good night, everybody. Knock down windows and turn down doors. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wines, go to you to drink wine. Wines, go to you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den. He wasn't selling for an American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine.